Are you a burnt out overachiever buried in responsibilities? Is your inner critic going nonstop? Do you miss laughing with your friends, just laughing from the gut? Do you feel like life's passing you by? If you've been wishing for some kind of shift, you're in the right place. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, the show where we take you off the hamster wheel by ditching your to-do list for the to-don't list. This is where you get to learn how to make that lonely ache vanish, learn self-compassion techniques, and to give yourself grace. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul so you can learn from my experience and the mentors and experts I meet along the way. And today we're talking to author, inspirational leader, and self-improvement advocate, Scott Stabile. You get to learn how to love and accept yourself fully and to stop damaging yourself with self-judgment. Learn strategies for challenging negative thoughts and how to stop spiraling. You're in for a real treat hearing from Scott who has the best energy on the planet and he works for it daily and he's gonna give you tools so you can do the same. The author of, I love this title, his book is called Enough As You Are. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Scott. Hey, thank you so much, Lauren. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, okay. So I've got so many marks in this book and I'm holding it up if you're not watching it up. Um, video. And it seems to me, it's always like, it's always self-worth. Like I know peeling the onion, we get to different layers, we work through stuff. It seems like self-worth is always an issue. Yeah. For all of us. Right. I mean, I don't think we, I don't really think we grow up being taught how to love ourselves. If anything, we grow up being taught that if we don't think this way, look this way, feel this way, there's something wrong with us. Like we're grow, we grow up with so much conditioning and it starts from the people who raise us, you know, our parents or caretakers, and even the best parents of the world, the most loving evolved parents of the world are going to condition their kids in certain ways that don't align with those. And so for me, part of this journey, and maybe you can relate is like, is looking at those places inside of us that are conditioned and looking at the ways in which we're operating from that conditioned place versus the ways in which we can operate from a more authentic place a place that feels more honest in our hearts. And then as much as possible, giving our energy to the authenticity and eliminate the more conditioned responses if they don't feel like they're in alignment with who we truly are. Which is great. And I love how you talk about it. It's, it's from this point on. But first, since you talked about parents, I mean, you talk openly about how your parents were shot when you were 14, your brother OD'd. I, so who, I mean, that's, you know, you've certainly experienced tragedy. And so who raised you? I I moved in with, in at 14 with my eldest sister and her husband and their son, my nephew at the time. Okay. So I'm, okay. I was the youngest of seven kids. Oh, so wow. I had a, there was a big, you know, support network in that way. That was certainly helpful. I can't imagine having gone through that with no siblings, you know, so right. that was just how the circumstances changed. It was a lot as a 14 year old, obviously, as yeah. anybody. And, Just and, being 14 is... Yeah, just being 14 and changing high schools and coming to terms with my sexuality, like a lot was going on in that moment as well as losing my parents in a horrific way. And I also want to say without in any way trying to downplay my own tragedies, an adult, you've dealt with trauma as a kid. It's like every human being on this planet is dealing with some aspects of traumatic childhoods. And it could be even just one comment uh, an adult you love said to you in one moment of time, like you're too this or you're too much. Why are you always too much? Or why are you so lazy? And we internalize, we take these comments with us 
into our entire lives and we can shut ourselves down because of that one comment, right? It's like, if everyone listening, I suspect, can relate to having had something said to them as a child, that still can be triggered right now. And so when I speak about past trauma, I mean that there are any number of things as we go through life that can inhibit our most authentic expression. And so in my experience, I feel most alive, most high, most excited when I'm living in alignment with my most authentic expression, which is, is love and whatever else love invites. Right. So how did you start working to that? Because you don't get from there to where you are sure. now. So how did you begin the journey? You know, I, I joined a cult in the Bay Area. That's that funny. really was kind of what. That's so my, stereotypical. I, was, I know, right? <laughs> I, I went to San Francisco after college, Michigan, yeah. and I got involved in this spiritual community and it ended in a very dark way, but the positives were tremendous. And the positives were it was surrounded by people who were focused on love, focused on becoming more loving, becoming more peaceful, giving their energy to that, on forgiveness, on all of these things that I believe add so much more beauty to our lives. And so that really opened me up to this understanding, well, wait a minute, when I am aligning with the energy of love and I see love as just an energy, like that we have a choice, it's an energy that's alive within us, outside of us, and we have a choice over how much we play with this energy, how much we invite it in. And whenever I was inviting the energy of love in and acting from that place or speaking from that place, I noticed I felt most at home and most okay. And so it just incentivized me more and more. Well, look at what love is doing for me in my life. Look at how it's making me feel. And then really looking around and understanding as I see it, all of us, every single human being on the planet longs to receive love and to give love. It is like the most innate desire. We're constantly coming up with excuses and justifications to be jerks and to be hateful and to shame ourselves and others. And when I started to just pay attention to the choices I were, was making that were out of sync with love, which are plenty because I'm a human and you know what I mean? I'm all jerk sometimes too. But as soon as possible, kind of nudge your way back, always of service in some way. Yeah. And being of service is huge. But how did you get out of the cult? I don't want to just skip that. <laughs> we have a, few, a few episodes on that. What yeah. I will say is I was a student to this guru for 13 years and I couldn't sell myself anymore on his enlightenment. Like he professed himself to be an enlightened master, which is what I believed for many years. I was chasing enlightenment with, and- uh, You I, have something about that. Wait, I bet I dog-eared it. Oh, here it is. I did, here it is. I okay. stopped chasing enlightenment when I finally understood that attaining it was not within my power. Enlightenment is a gift, like winning the spiritual lottery, not an achievement. What is within my power are my kindness, my compassion, and my love. Anyway, that's page 130. Do you like the way I was able to just... <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. good thought. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> no, so go ahead. Yeah. No, it really was. It was like, one, I couldn't reconcile what I was seeing in his behavior and make excuses for it anymore as enlightened behavior. And I knew that this was no longer the past for me. So it took me a year from that knowing to actually get the courage to tell him I didn't want to be a student anymore, in part because these people, this community, they were the, my family. Right. You had no they were family. the closest right, people right. in my life. And 
I knew that I could risk losing all of them if I said goodbye to him. And sure enough, when I did, he told them all to delete me from their lives. And they all did. So, so what did and, you do? That must have... Yeah. Oh, it was, it was extremely traumatic. And that experience was heartbreaking. And it also affirmed my choice to leave. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was yeah, like, of course. that's not unconditional love in my yeah. <laughs> impression. So I have never regretted that choice. It was really hard in the moment. And, and I have like deep love for my former friends. And I also understand why they made the choice they made. When you have a guru and when you're, when you're in it in the way I was in it, when your guru tells you to do something, you do it. Like that's the kind of cult it was. So yeah. I get why they deleted me, you know. It was painful, and I also understand. It's like no hard feelings. But yeah. So what did you do after that? Just kept living my life. I mean, I was in, I was in very involved in that community, but I also had friends outside of it, and, okay. and I, it, okay. wasn't it wasn't always. It wasn't an isolated. It wasn't an isolated cult like it, where you weren't allowed to talk. I think, no, I think some people took it on in that way a bit more so, but I never did. And no, we could have our outside friendships. And I always maintained those. I always had a life outside of that community, even though. Okay. I just yeah. always wonder how people's spiritual journeys lead them to where they are. Sure. But, and that, that was such a powerful part of my spiritual journey, Lauren, because for years, I mean, I was in that community for 13 years. So for, for that long, a primary focus of my life was being more loving and, and, and enlightened and like owning my crap, like taking responsibility for how I'm showing up, owning my hypocrisies. And all of that was unbelievably valuable. And what I came to understand is I don't have to be chasing enlightenment to show up that way. I can just show up that way and allow that to lead me where it leads me. And in, in what I found was that when I was chasing enlightenment, I was constantly judging myself against what I imagined to be the more enlightened version of myself, which is, and it was so unhealthy. I was constantly shaming myself because I wasn't this enlightened soul instead of bringing love and grace to where I was and am. And for me, that's the essence of enough as you are. And a lot of the work I do is just yeah. reminding people that it is possible to get in good relationship with yourself right now as you are without needing yourself to be anyone different or anything different in order for you to feel worthy of love. Can we accept that we're worthy as we are. It's inherent. Worth is not something that is predicated on success or looks or family, none of that. It's, it's just, so when you start to own that understanding, it completely transforms how you move through the world. Yeah, it's not gained. So let's talk about, are there steps or the things that people can do? Um, and you do talk about, you get to start from today, which- Yeah, I'd I love, love to That's say all that. There is. Yeah, okay. Yeah, then it's, it's like, First thing I would say to people is like, just know that it's always what you do from this moment on that matters the most. So even if you've been in a fairly self-loathing relationship with yourself for 30 years, okay, here we are right now. What are we going to do from this moment on? And I think for me, the first step is really a willingness, right? I don't think that people, everyone is able to honestly say, I love myself just as I am. But can you honestly say, I'm willing to? Like, are you willing to get in better relationship with yourself? That for me is always a first step with everyone because that willingness is actually an act of self-love. A willingness to love yourself reflects loving yourself, even if you can't get into the, the vibe of, I believe I love myself, right? And then willingness and commitment. What does commitment look like? For me, it looks like looking at 
the choices I'm making in my life that don't necessarily reflect self-care and self-love and as much as possible, beginning to eliminate those choices while at the same time, really asking myself in an intentional way, like, what are the things that I can be doing in my life that actually stand to create more joy or more connection or more meaning, right? Grab paper, grab pencil, like, like write these things down and get them in your psyche so you can look at things that have you feeling better about your life and yourself and give your energy to those things in a more intentional way. And you can look at the things that have you feeling like crap about your life and about yourself and start eliminating them. And this is, this is like one plus one equals two, right? It's very basic. Yeah, it's easy. It, it's simple, but like we all struggle to do it sometimes. We all know what we should be doing for ourselves, but how many of us are actually doing it, right? Yeah, and I true. put myself in that group. I'm often oh, making yeah. choices that are not the most healthy choice. And for me, self-love, the invitation from self-love is not that we make healthy choices all the time. It's how are we showing up for ourselves when we're not making the choices that we feel are the healthiest? Can we still give ourselves grace? Can we still give ourselves compassion? Can we still remind ourselves, I'm a human being and this too is part of the human experience. I, I've never shamed myself into healing, but I have loved myself into a much more healed space. I love that I've never shamed myself into healing. I, I mean, that's just well, shame's what shame be does. Yeah, shame's a very low vibration. I'm grateful that I'm human. I love myself for being human is a much better place to go. I think it's also recognizing our negative self-talk. I was just telling somebody how I'm in a, uh, a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher training program and we're well into the second year and, and our, our mentor, a small mentor group, she's leading a, before the class, a, a short meditation and my head's going, going, going during the meditation. Of course, it's, I mean, that's what you do. And it does, right? And I was like, who do I think I am? Well, I can't teach meditation. I can't do that. Like my head's going with what a fraud I am, this and that. And I was like, listen to me. <laughs> I had to laugh and I Good. share about it. And it did that in a few different th areas within a week span of, you can call it imposter syndrome, you can call it negative self-talk, you can call it whatever. For the first time I was able to reframe it, I must be on the precipice of greatness to have this much negative self-talk going on in a matter of days. Yeah, it was the first time I was ever able to reframe it because, and it's the awareness and it's the willingness. I'm not always like that good. <laughs> I was just aware. It's an yeah. awareness of it. It is all it is. I can laugh at myself. <laughs> Even saying that is so important that you said I have, I had to laugh because for me, that is one of the ways we get in better relationship with ourselves. First and foremost, really understanding that we are not our minds and we are not our thoughts. So whatever's playing through your mind only defines you if you allow it to define you. But if you can create some distance and, and practice it, bearing witness to your thoughts without becoming them, engaging with your mind, even when it's doing its crazy dance. Like if you can engage with it in a more nonchalant, curious, humorous way, like you just said, just laugh at it. Like so often I'm like, oh, there's my mind doing the insane thing that my mind is always doing, trying to tell me I'm worthless, trying to, I think what, I, what, I, what I've gotten better at, I know what I've gotten better at is just not believing it. Our mind so many of the thoughts playing through our minds are not, are not true. And yet we've been taught to believe what our mind is telling us instead of to challenge it. And, and we can challenge it 
in a really loving way. I'm not interested in going to war with my mind. That is a war I would lose a time and again. My mind is adept at fighting, but I am interested in challenging my mind when it's telling me a bunch of nonsense about myself or other people, when it's trying to take me out of love for myself and other people. I think there's great value in just being like, not playing that game today, you know, and in just creating a different relationship so we don't feel so controlled by our thoughts, because that's where, for me, most of the suffering is created. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about how I'm judging what I'm doing, right? When I'm downing a pint of ice cream, and enjoying the taste of ice cream, it only becomes miserable when my mind comes in and says, you're taking crap care of your body and you're a piece of crap. And da, 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 da. without all that noise, all I'm left with is ice cream. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Might as well enjoy it. You're, you, well I, mean, enjoy I, love, it right? I love my sugar. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I like, yeah. I don't do a lot that's bad for my body, but I love my sugar. So uh, when and I so eat it, I enjoy it. Yeah, that's like really the get like it's really understanding that it is always within our power to show up for ourselves with more compassion and more love and then understand that love always transcends self, which is to say that when you get a deeper, more loving relationship with yourself going, you're automatically going to be showing up for others in a different way, in a more loving way. It's the only possibility. It's how this stuff works. It's all energy. So foundationally our relationship with ourselves informs how we show up for everything else in the world which is why i think self-love is so critically important okay so willingness is how you first teach people is to be willing then what i mean i love the title of the book enough as you are but somebody's like they don't believe that that's a hard okay. place to get to it's um, a hard place to get to so one thing i would I encourage people to do is because people are so apt to say I don't take good care of myself. I don't love myself. I don't know how to love myself. I would invite people to really look at the different ways in which they are loving themselves on an average day. When you are brushing your teeth, when you are preparing food for yourself, when you are putting on clothing that makes you feel good, this is all, these are all acts of self-care, which are actually acts of self-love, right? And instead of taking those things for granted, what happens if we start to actually just even if it's for five or 10 seconds to just acknowledge, ah, this is me taking care of myself right now. This is me loving myself right now. Doing that does a couple things. One, it makes it harder for your mind to convince you that you don't know how to love yourself when you're actually centering yourself in these self-love moments throughout your day. And also, because I see everything as energy and energy naturally creates momentum, the more you are centering yourself in these self-love moments, the more you're going to be invited to participate with yourself in a more loving way. Because what we do, our minds naturally focus on the negative. They naturally focus on the ways we're not taking care of ourselves. They naturally go to self-abuse. So the more intentional we become about honoring those moments when we actually are aligned with self-care, the more we're serving that whole story, right? So another thing I would recommend to people is start a self-love journal. Start a journal that is just devoted to self-love and only, only write in that journal when you are in a clear space in your head. Like don't write in that journal when you're feeling like crap about yourself, but things that you can put into that journal. If you can't say what you love about yourself, can you say the things that you appreciate about yourself? Does the word appreciation make it more 
palatable. You know, like I'm a big fan of affirmations, but only when they're honest. I think that's the the glitch in affirmations is if I'm sitting here saying, I love myself completely, I love myself completely. But what I'm feeling is I don't like myself very much. That feeling is going to trump these words. The vibration we're holding energetically is much stronger than any words I'm repeating. So what I encourage people to do is get to the most honest statement you can make. So if you can't say, I love myself completely, can you say honestly, I am willing to love myself completely, right? If you can't say, I love this about myself, can you say, I appreciate this about myself? That's a bit more of a gentler word that some people have an easier time getting to. It's like you brought up reframing earlier. For me, this is about looking at ways to reframe what is in a way that actually serves the relationship we have with ourselves. I want to just mention for everyone who's listening and not watching that Scott puts his hands on his heart mm. when he's saying these words, because yeah. I think that's really important. And it's a, such an act of self-compassion. Okay, keep going. Yeah. That Well, I love that you brought it up. It's a great segue because that is another way we come into better feeling with ourselves is understanding that the only thing creating a negative relationship with ourselves is what's coming from our minds what's coming from our ego. When we're in our heart center, when we're in that place within that is just a universe of love, there is no communication that in any way would align with seeing us as less than. The communication of the heart is always, you are beautiful, you are enough, you are vital, you are vibrant, you are strong, you are all of these things. So if I know that I'm out of alignment with myself, it's an invitation to get back into my heart. And how do I do that? I mean. You can do that through a host of different ways and you need to figure out what way is going to get you there. Meditation can be a way. If you're meditating on your heart center, you're meditating on the energy of love, you're inviting it into your life in a bigger way. I write letters sometimes, you know, dear love, I need you right now. I'm lost. I'm having trouble connecting with your energy. I'm mired in self-abuse. Please help me. We don't think we can ask for I've help. I've never that heard way. that. That's so, that's new for me. That is great. Yeah. And letters are such a powerful way to communicate yeah. the different parts of ourselves going on. Like if you're mired in jealousy or envy, it's like, dear jealousy, what are you trying to show me right now? This is really painful. This is really difficult. And is there a lesson here? See what comes out. What I've discovered, Lauren, is, you know, in all my workshops, I use writing as a, a, as a big tool yeah. to get to. I know. I know all different letters. I've never heard any of these. These are good. Keep going. So go ahead. Yeah. So it's like when you write, when you put pen to paper and actually write something, what comes out is oftentimes very different than what can come from just trying to think through something. It's like new epiphanies, new perspectives, new possibilities can come out through writing. One of the practices I do, I call it soul writing, is I just ask the question, dear soul, what is it you would have me know right now? Then Elizabeth Gilbert, that great writer and human, she started a subset called Letters from Love, I think. And it's just an invitation for people to do what I just suggested with the soul. Do it with love. Recognize that there is an energetic place within you that's just all love and it is it never leaves you. And it only loves you. That is the only thing it does. So what happens when you sit down and you invite the voice of love into your life? Dear love. What is it you'd like me to know right now? 
I love that. <laughs> now, for somebody uh, with they're like they have all the negative self-talk going on, what would you suggest for that? Just want to say to you, you're not alone in that. That is the human condition. I don't know a human being on the planet who doesn't have a lot of negative self-talk going on. And I'm someone who's who's really good at loving myself. And I have a mind that's still really good at abusing me, right? So part of what's created for me, the possibility of centering in my heart more is what I said earlier. It's the practice of paying attention to my thoughts without becoming them. There's a great spiritual metaphor for that, which is become the sky and allow your thoughts to be the clouds or the weather. So you don't take ownership of them. The sky is, is more expansive beyond whatever's happening within it, right? And another thing I feel called to say, Lauren, I thought of this earlier, so I'm going to say this again, is I took a hypnosis workshop many years ago in New York. And this is the one thing I remember from it that the teacher recommended is we all have the inner critic. We all have the voice that's telling us we're lazy and stupid. Give that voice an actual voice and make it the most absurd voice you've ever heard in your life. So when it is abusing you, it's going to sound so this is my inner critic's voice now. Scott, you're so stupid and silly and dumb. Like that is the voice I give to it when I remember to do so. And when, when that is the voice that's criticizing you, it's very hard to take it seriously. And we don't need to take our mind's voice serious most of the time. So one thing it does is it brings a bit of levity to this human experience and it energetically shifts the moment. Like if all of a sudden you're going into, well, if you've been if you've been on the hamster wheel of like yeah. oh, I'm a piece of crap, I'm a piece, it it interrupts energetically what's going on there. Yeah, that's uh, fun. It's fun. It it works. It's effective. You know, I don't always remember to do it, but when I do, it's effective. Yeah, I, I love that. And back to the journaling and the questions, I was always taught not on a keyboard, handwrite, because that's straight from the heart. It's more effective, I find as well. But at the same time, if you're resistant to that, get on the keyboard. Because yeah, whatever, doing it yeah. is better than not doing it. But right, I right, right, there's, something, right. there's something from pen to paper that comes out differently. Yeah, definitely. And then there's so many people who are lonely. I just wanted yeah. to address that, the loneliness fact. And I'm always like, get out. Even if you're just taking a walk around the block, like do something to get out. What do you tell telling people these days? You know, I'm having to tell that to myself because I've been dealing oh, yeah. with a lot of loneliness lately. Honestly, it's been a real and loneliness is a woof. It is, it can be so heavy in moments like, and I am being not all the time. Sometimes I mire in this loneliness, self-pitying feeling, you know, and I'm making an effort to be more proactive. So for me, what that looks like is understanding that as someone who works from home and writes and is, has a very isolated way of doing things. I'm getting out to coffee shops. I just joined a co-working space actually, so that I'm going to intentionally put myself in the presence of other people because I recognize what that does for my psyche. If I'm just staying in my home all day long, it's not the best thing for me. And I'm also an introvert. I'm really good with having a lot of space to myself. If loneliness is something you're going through, again, the first thing I would say is understand you're not alone in this, even though I know you're feeling loneliness, like that's something that a lot of us are contending with in our lives. And then as much as possible, even if, if you steer toward introversion, like just consider some really easy choices you could maybe make for yourself that would invite the presence and energy of other people and figure out for yourself what that is. You know, that could be attending an in, in, in-person meditate. If you're someone who likes meditation, 
find one that's actually where people are meeting to meditate, right? Like we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones. And, and ironically, so often our comfort zones are, are zones that actually have us feeling miserable, but misery yes. becomes comfortable when it becomes what we know. Yep. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, the working from home and do new things and stepping out. Listen, honestly, I listen to a lot of podcasts and listening to podcasts like these helps me feel less lonely because I'm, what, I'm, what I'm hearing, there are more people who are aligned in the same way, more people out there talking about love and, and how do we get in good relationship with ourselves and how can we remain hopeful and all of these things that matter a lot to me. And I think in our loneliness, we, we can forget that actually we're not alone in who we are and how we are. There are lots of other people out there. And that is one of the great gifts, I think, of the internet with all the dark side. There's, there's the possibility to find others like us that we could potentially connect with. Oh, definitely. There's plenty of high vibrating people. I'm so curious how the, if you're able to write in a co-working space, how that, how that works out. And yeah, because I'm always under the impression that I need silence and I need my my little to cocoon in order to write. And it's probably not true because I can tune stuff out. You do breath work. I just I do want to touch on that really briefly on how great breath work is for you and just yeah. about what it so is. So have you tried transformational breath work yet? Or have you only like you've heard about it? I've I've, I've it. gone to um a meditate I've done breath work at unplugged meditation here in Los Angeles. I've okay. done that and I, I would. I'm not sure if it's, is it yeah. a very active breath that kind of takes yeah, you on? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that what it was. It was yeah. you, breathe, you breathe, you breathe, you breathe, you breathe. Yeah, it was really. It's a game changer. Honestly, this is one of my favorite tools that I've ever, ever been introduced to and discovered. And I guide it now, usually about once a week online. And it's, it takes you, this specific breathing practice is incredibly powerful at moving stuck energy in your body, which is why people who are, are doing this breath, it's very common for people to cry hysterically or get into, like if the breath can hit a pocket of frustration or rage and people will be screaming and flailing. And, and, and there are some dramatic aspects of this breath. Others will lie entirely still and maybe not feel a whole lot of, of anything. But in general, our breath is is one of the biggest tools we have to work with, I believe, work with pain and trauma in our body and start moving it and clearing it out. I've had the trippiest experiences. Lord, I talked to my parents who've been dead for many years and I'm not a medium. I've never had that experience. And in breathwork journeys, I've had clear communications with past loved ones, which blew my mind. Um, so it's there's really no saying where you go in this breathwork practice, but I can't encourage people enough to start integrating more breath work into their lives if it's not a part, because it's just, it's one of the most powerful healers we have. That's and join me one night. Find me online. Yeah. And, I will uh, have, it, I have it, all of Scott's links and everything okay, in the show yeah. notes on the website on everything. So yeah, I definitely will. And maybe awesome. we'll do one of your practices. We can, we can do some lives. Yeah, yeah, I would too. Okay. So what's the hardest challenge you've ever gone through and how did you get through it? I mean, losing my parents for sure. That was uh, the toughest. And I, how did I get through it? I think at the time when I was 14, when I reflect back on those years after, I don't think anything I was doing was conscious. I wasn't like making intentional choices at 14. I feel like I was being protected. Like something in me knew that to survive it, what I had to do was bury it. And that is exactly what I did. I would have a good cry once a year 
that was it. After wow. the first few months after their death, it was like clockwork. Once a year, I would cry. I would bury it. And then I, I was like a straight A student, popular kid, had a very like normal high school experience outside of not having parents and all this, the stressors that that created. But that was the way I, I handled it until my early 20s when that yearly cry was like three days in and not stopping. And I thought I was losing my mind. And I opened uh, Yellow Pages at the time, a phone book, and opened to the psychotherapist section or however it was titled and literally closed my eyes and pointed my finger on the page. And I called that woman and I could afford six sessions at the time. And I met with her and it, what, what, what was so important about that was really seeing, I actually can be with all of my emotions around their death and it's not going to kill me. And I think I was so afraid to let myself really feel the anguish and the rage and then I started opening up to feeling everything I was feeling about it and allowing for that expression to come through. And then, you know, with, yeah, how does any of us get through any of our hardest stuff? Like the sun keeps rising, we keep living, and we do the best we can within the context of whatever grief we're experiencing or, or whatever, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Are you the youngest of the seven? I am, yes. So, and when you learned all this, did you share it with your siblings? I mean, I, I am who I am. So yeah. yes, I would say that it, it's funny when you're the youngest, you're always the youngest in a yeah. family. You know? So my relationships with my siblings, I'm especially close with my three sisters and mm-hmm. yeah, like we're, we're friends. So yeah, we're, but we're also on different, I would say one of my siblings, especially is on a very similar path as I. So the, the conversations we're able to have about all this stuff tend to go a bit more deeper, a bit deeper, but you know, that's just the way of things. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. share who I am. You know, I, they've read my books. But siblings are always different. <laughs> yeah. Always. I'm blessed with a good batch of siblings. So for sure. Uh, you're lucky. Okay. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? The message of hope would be just to re- one, to remind people that their worth is inherent and to remind you all that it is never too late to transform the relationship you have with yourself in your life. It is never too late. And my excitement and hope lives so large in that understanding that at any moment we can make different choices that are going to wholly influence our lives in different ways. So keep moving forward with intention, with willingness, with commitment, and with as much self-love as possible. Yeah. And you also talk about acceptance. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that the yeah. whole book is basically yeah. that. Uh, as as yeah, so this book is so readable, you guys. You get and you get a hug while you're it, you feel oh, hugged. No, thank you. It's, it's not like it's you just you can open it anywhere and read a little passage and feel good. It's it's one of these books you just open it and it's so easy. It's such a feel good read. You have to get this book. It's it's thank incredible. You so Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't always say anybody, my, everybody knows. I don't always say that. So, okay. uh, so much for being well, a guest. If you did, there. thank you yeah. for saying no. it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's not his first book, but it's the first one I read. So now I'll read your other. Thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 thank Weeks of Hope. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you the messages of self-compassion, the amazing journaling prompts that Scott gave us about what would love have you learned or what are you trying to teach me right now, love? Or what is my soul trying to teach me? And also choosing self-care because you are worth it. 
And what did he say? He said, I've never shamed myself into healing, but I've loved myself into a much more healed space. Such fulfilling messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to share the episode with your friends so more people feel less alone in the overwhelm and to remember the pause. Answers emerge in the pause, and instead of adding to your to-do list, how about a to-don't list? Be sure to tune in next week when we're talking about what does your best life look like? It's a super empowering episode, allowing you to feel more authentic and focused again. You do get to align with who you really want to be and do those things you really want to do. You're going to love this episode. And we have a contest coming up. We're giving away journals, free sessions with past guests, and a bunch of really amazing gifts. All you have to do is rate and review the podcast and then share it on social media or email it to me. Take a screenshot and email it to me so that I know that you've done that. Follow us on YouTube, take a picture, send that to me or just DM me or respond to the weekly email with a picture of your rating or review and you'll be entered. It's for the upcoming 200th episode celebration. That's all you have to do to win. Until next week, I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening. 